Section One of If I May by A. A. Milne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kirsten Weber. If I May by A. A. Milne. Section One The Case for the Artist. I, an artist, I mean Shakespeare, and me, and Bach, and myself, and Velasquez, and Phidias, and even you, if you have ever written four lines on the sunset in somebody's album, or modeled a Noah's Ark for your little boy in plasticine. Perhaps we have not quite reached the heights where Shakespeare stands, but we are on his track. Shakespeare can be representative of all of us, or Velasquez, if you prefer him. One of them shall be president of our United Artists' Federation. Let us then consider what place in the scheme of things our federation can claim. Probably we artists have all been a little modest about ourselves lately. During the war, we asked ourselves gloomily what use we were to the state compared with the nobler digger of coals, the much-to-be-reverenced maker of boots, and the godlike grower of wheat. Looking at the pictures in the illustrated papers of brawny, half-dressed men pushing about blocks of red-hot iron, we have told ourselves that these heroes were the pillars of society, and that we were just an incidental decoration. It was a wonder that we were allowed to live. And now, in these days of strikes, when a single union of manual workers can hold up the rest of the nation, it is a bitter reflection to us that, if we were to strike, the country would go on its way quite happily and nine-tenths of the population would not even know that we had downed our pens and brushes. If there is any artist who has been depressed by such thoughts as these, let him take comfort. We are all right. I made the discovery that we were all right by studying the life of the bee. All that I knew about bees until yesterday was derived from the great naturalist, Dr. Isaac Watts. In common with everyone who has been a child, I knew that the insect in question improved each shining hour by something honey, something something, every something flower. I had also heard that bees could not sting you if you held your breath, a precaution which would make conversation by the herbaceous border an affair altogether too spasmodic. And finally, that, in any case, the same bee could only sting you once, though, apparently, there was no similar provision of natures that the same person could not be stung twice. Well, that was all I knew about bees until yesterday. I used to see them about the place from time to time, busy enough, no doubt, but really no busier than I was, and as they were not much interested in me, they had no reason to complain that I was not much interested in them. But since yesterday, when I read a book which dealt fully not only with the public life of the bee, 
but with the most intimate details of its private life, I have looked at them with a new interest and a new sympathy. For there is no animal which does not get more out of life than the pitiable insect which Dr. Watts holds up as an example to us. Hitherto, it may be, you have thought of the bee as an admirable and industrious insect, member of a model community which worked day and night to but one end, the well-being of the coming race. You knew, perhaps, that it fertilized the flowers, but you also knew that the bee didn't know. You were aware that, if any bee deliberately went about trying to improve your delphiniums, instead of gathering honey for the state, it would be turned down promptly by the other workers. For nothing is done in the hive without this one utilitarian purpose. Even the drones take their place in the scheme of things, a minor place in the stud, and when the next generation is assured and the drones cease to be useful and can now only revert to the ornamental, they are ruthlessly cast out. It comes, then, to this. The bee devotes its whole life to preparing for the next generation. But what is the next generation going to do? It is going to spend its whole life preparing for the third generation, and so on, forever. An admirable community, the moralists tell us, poor moralists, to miss so much of the joy of life, to deny oneself the pleasure, to mention only one among many, of reclining lazily on one's back in a snapdragon, watching the little white clouds sail past upon a sea of blue. To miss these things for no other reason than that the next generation may also have an opportunity of missing them, is that admirable? What do the bees think that they're doing? If they live a life of toil and self-sacrifice merely in order that the next generation may live a life of equal toil and self-sacrifice, what has been gained? Ask the next bee you meet what it thinks it is doing in this world, and the only answer it can give you is keeping up the supply of bees. Is that an admirable answer? How much more admirable if it could reply that it was eschewing all pleasure and living the life of a galley slave in order that the next generation might have leisure to paint the poppy a more glorious scarlet? But no, the next generation is going at it just as hard for the same unproductive end. It has no wish to leave anything behind it a new color, a new scent, a new idea. It has only one object in this world, more bees. Could any scheme of life be more sterile? Having come to this conclusion about the bee, I took fresh courage. I saw at once that it was the artist in man which makes him less contemptible than the bee. That godlike person, the grower of wheat, assumed his proper level. Bread may be necessary to existence, but what is the use of existence if you are merely going to employ it in making bread? True, the farmer makes bread not only for himself, 
but for the miner, and the miner produces coal not only for himself but for the farmer, and the farmer also produces bread for the maker of boots, who produces boots not only for himself but for the farmer and the miner, but you are still getting no further. It is the life of the bee over again, with no other object in it but mere existence. If this were all, there would be nothing to write on our tombstones but, born 1800, died 1880, he lived till then. But it is not all, because, and here I strike my breast proudly, because of us artists. Not only can we write on Shakespeare's tomb, he wrote Hamlet, or he was not for an age but for all time, but we can write on a contemporary baker's tomb, he provided bread for the man who wrote Hamlet, and on a contemporary butcher's tomb, he was not only for himself, but for Shakespeare. We perceive, in fact, that the only matter upon which any worker other than an artist can congratulate himself, whether he be manual worker, brain worker, surgeon, judge, or politician, is that he is helping to make the world tolerable for the artist. It is only the artist who will leave anything behind him. He is the fighting man, the man who counts. The others are merely the army service corps of civilization. A world without its artists, a world of bees, would be as futile, as meaningless a thing, as an army composed entirely of the ASC. Possibly you put in a plea here for the explorer and the scientist. The explorer, perhaps, may stand alone. His discovery of a peak in Darien is something in itself, quite apart from the happy possibility that Keats may be tempted to bring it into a sonnet. Yes, if a beef-essence merchant has only provided sustenance for an explorer, he has not lived in vain, however much the poets and the painters recoil from his wares. But of the scientist I am less certain. I fancy that his invention of the telephone, for instance, can only be counted to his credit because it has brought the author into closer touch with his publisher. So, we artists, yes, and explorers, may be of good faith. They may try to pretend, these others, in their little times of stress, that we are nothing, decorative, inessential, that it is they who make the world go round. They will not upset us. We could not live without them, true. But, a much more bitter thought, they would have no reason for living at all were it not for us. End of section 1